First uh, Kings chapter 19, uh, if you have your Bibles, First Kings chapter 19. I did not know, I'm going to admit this up front, I, I was, I'd done prepared the message and was, um, was ready to preach. I was doing some other stuff in my office and, and saw uh, Christy had posted something about the Sunday school lesson for this Sunday. And I, I did not realize when I was preparing this message that I would be preaching from some of the same texts that's in our Sunday school lesson this morning. But I'm going to come at it from a little different angle. And so um, I, I won't be, you won't have to go back to Sunday school and hear the same message. Um, the text, the, 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 the subject that the Sunday school lesson is going to cover this morning is a little different um, than the one I'm going to cover, even though it's coming from the same portion of Scripture. We've been studying John the Baptist all week. Um, it started last Sunday in a study of John the Baptist. And so I've been doing my daily devotions, thinking about the life and ministry of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist came, the Bible says, and he was not a reincarnated Elijah. Um, but he, he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, which was what was forecasted in the book of, of Malachi. He was the one who was the forerunner for Jesus. And I don't know, I, I guess this is just the way that my mind works, I guess. I've been, I was thinking about John the Baptist and Elijah all week, and then I thought about Elijah's successor, who was Elisha. And um, I thought, you know what, we never talk a whole lot about Elisha. We never consider Elisha, but he had a pretty phenomenal ministry in and of itself. And this is kind of where the Sunday school lesson hitches up this morning, is that at, at the lowest, probably the lowest point in Elijah's life after Jezebel's threat, and he went and hid himself and, um, and felt like he was the only one left in the world that was trying to do the will of God. At a very low point in Elijah's life, God sent him to Elisha for Elisha to be a help for him. And so um, he was, uh, Elijah is very well known, one of the most powerful prophets of the Old Testament. Um, but Elisha came alongside of him at a very low time in, Eli in Elijah's life and, and helped him. And uh, Elisha also came along at a very low place in Israel's history following uh, the reign of Ahab and, and, and Jezebel. Um, and, if you, and if you just kind of look at the historical perspective, even just from the book of um, First and Second Kings, Israel didn't have any good kings. They, they did not have a king that led them in a season of revival like the nation of Judah did. And, um, and so Elisha came along at an extremely low place in Israel's history. They were um, wallowing in idolatry and, and drifting into apostasy, into an absolute rejection of their God. So um, God called Elisha, who was an ordinary man, uh, who was living in a very inconspic inconspicuous place, who had a very common occupation, um, but God raised him up to both serve Eli Elijah uh, and to learn from Elijah. And he was the one that would be, and that's what we're going to read this morning, he was the one that would be called to come in and take the place of Elijah the prophet. And if you, we're going to, I don't know how long we're going to stay here, but I, I really want to just do a little bit of a character study because I think there's so much that we can learn from him um, that he would later on receive a double portion. Elijah's pretty famous for his miracles, but the Bible said Elisha received a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. Um, he ran a school for prophets. He, he was trained by Elijah, but then he trained a whole school of prophets to follow the word of God and to proclaim the word of God. He had twice as many miracles attributed to him. And although Elijah's interactions were primarily with King Ahab, Elisha actually had the opportunity over probably about a 50-year ministry 
um, to influence four kings. Now, granted, none of them turned their heart to God, but they, um, it's clear from when you begin to read the, the, the story of Elisha that he had an influence in these kings' lives and that they respected him uh, for who he was and for what he stood for. So look with me at 1 Kings. I'm just going to pick it up uh, in verse 14 and uh, really just going to focus on the last three verses of the chapter. But just so you can see a little bit of the context, it, it, Elijah had been hiding in this cave um, feeling like he was the only one left and that Jezebel was ready to kill him. He had a pity party. He was wallowing in his, uh, in his um, self-pity and, 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 and possibly even uh, on the borders of depression. Um, and then God came to him. He, he, he didn't hear the voice of God in the fire or in the wind, but then God came to him in a still small voice and, um, and, and God just asked him the question, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing in this place? And in verse 14, Elijah answered God and said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So you can tell that Elijah is way down right now. He feels like he's the only one that's doing anything that all the rest have been slaughtered and that, and that his life is in jeopardy himself. And then verse 15, the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of uh, Abel-Maholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal. And every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he, that is Elijah, departed hence, thence, and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elisha passed, Elijah passed him by and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done? To thee, And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So this is a, this is a little bit of a clickbait title for the message this morning. It's a clickbait because when people go online and look at it on the day, what in the world is that all about? And then they go listen to the message. Um, but it's more than that. Here's, the, here's your message title. Burnt plows and cooked cows. Burnt plows and cooked cows. Now that's a clickbait title. I will, I will admit that. But it also uh, illustrates the fact that when God called Elisha, Elisha didn't hold anything back but that he went all in. He made a complete, total commitment in his ministry, um, in his service, uh, and in his calling to follow um, the prophet Elijah. Now, I, I, I read, I've read from behind different people this week about this text, and, and there's a whole lot of speculation that goes on in this, and I'm going to try not to speculate um, any at all, really. I don't, I don't want to speculate about a lot of these things. 
Um, but, there's, but there's no indication anywhere in the Bible that Elijah and Elisha knew each other personally before this. There's no indication they ever had any kind of interactions with one another. In fact, the Bible says that Elijah felt like he was the only true part of God's remnant that was left in the whole nation of Israel. He felt like he was all alone, um, that he stood alone, that nobody stood with him. And, and there's no indication that these two knew each other in any sense of the word. Now, Elijah had a reputation in Israel. So I'm quite sure that Elisha had heard of the prophet and had heard of the hatred that Ahab had towards this prophet and that Jezebel had had toward this prophet. But as far as them having any kind of relationship outside of that, there's no indication that Elijah knew who Elisha was. But the important thing of it is, is that God knew who Elisha was and that God sent him. He, in fact, prophesied that, I, Elijah, I've still got a work for you to do. Um, there are three men that I want you to anoint. Two of them, two of those men will be kings. And that third man, Elisha, here's where you'll find him. And he will be prophet in your stead. He's the one that I have raised up um, to take your place when I take uh, you home. So God knew Elisha. Elisha was part of a righteous remnant. I think Elisha was one of those 7,000 who had not bowed their knee to Baal. And it's very probable that Elisha's mom and dad were also part of that remnant. They named their son God is Salvation. And that's what Elisha means. And so it's very probable that Elisha came from a family of people who though the nation was diving off into apostasy and idolatry, um, that this family had committed themselves to God and to his word and they were doing their best to follow him in a very hostile environment uh, within the nation of Israel. God knew where he was. God knew um, and, and, he, and he told Elijah where to find um, his successor. A major drought had just ended. I'm kind of giving you some backstory. Um, remember Elijah when he came onto the scene um, he basically told Ahab there's not going to be rain. There's no rain is coming. Um, from now until I give my word again. And the Bible tells us that a three and a half year period, there was no rain. Now we can get in a three month period around here and things get pretty rough. But if you can imagine three and a half years, and the Bible tells us that it was a time when people were, uh, literally um, people were, were eating ox uh, or donkey heads and doves dung. They were selling it to be, to be eaten because um, the crops dried up, the animals died off. The story is, is laid out very plain for us that it was a, it was a horrible time in the nation of Israel when God was judging them for their idolatry and their apostasy. But the drought had just ended. In fact, what ended the drought was that showdown on Mount Carmel that Elijah had just came out of and slew the prophets of Baal. And while he was up praying on that mountain, Ahab was there with him. But Elijah said, um, I see a cloud in the distance. Looks like a man's hand. Y'all know the story well. And, um, and, and God sent uh, he broke the drought and flooded the land. So now you got a man uh, who had been in three and a half years of drought that is out there doing his very best to begin to plant crops again. Um, he's, plowing, he, he, he's plowing oxen, getting ready to plant crops. Elijah is busy. Now, there's some speculation that flows out of the account there in that the Bible says he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And I'll be honest, but when I read that the first time, I think, this joker's got a, he must have a big plow because he's got 24 oxen hooked behind it. But, but literally, if you read it a little closer, um, a, a yoke of oxen is a pair of oxen. There were 12 pairs of oxen, and, and there were 12 men plowing with 
each one of those pairs, and Elisha was at the last group. He was plowing with the 12th yoke of oxen. So some people have speculated, well, he was from a big family. He had to be from a big family. He had to be from a wealthy family. I don't know about you, but if I was the head of the family, I'd be leading the, I'd be leading the parade, not the end of it. I, we don't know whether he was from a wealthy family and they were tending a big piece of property. We don't know if he was um, just helping other people. Um, he could have even very well just been a servant of a wealthy family and plowing, doing his part with that 12th yoke of oxen. Um, but, but he's the last one in line, and, um, and, and, every, and, and day in and day out, I don't know how long he's been plowing. It must have been a pretty sizable field to have 12 yoke of oxen, um, but every day he's getting up looking at the rear ends of 24 oxen and being faithful to the work. He's doing what he needed to do. When he ain't looking for a job. He's not looking for something to do. He's not looking to be famous. He's not looking to have his name written in the book. He's just being faithful to what God called him to do. Now, I, I'm, I, if you look in God's word, every man that God ever called to greatness was faithful doing something else when he called him. Just go back through the book and look. Um, although Moses had some, some pretty interesting beginnings, when he got crossed up with Pharaoh, he fled to the backside of the desert and was tending his father-in-law's sheep when God showed up in the burning bush experience. So, so Moses was called from what? Being a shepherd. That's all he was. He had no aspiration, no inclination to lead the nation anywhere. He was content. In fact, you can see he was resistant to the call of God on his life. You got the wrong man. It ain't me that you're looking for. And then Moses became the greatest leader that we see uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, King David was a shepherd. Um, and he was not even engaged in battle. His brothers were engaged in battle. When David is introduced to us, he's carrying cheese to his brothers um, and just offended because a giant is um, blaspheming the name of the God of Israel. Nehemiah was a cupbearer in the king's palace, which means he tasted the wine before the king did in case somebody had poisoned the wine. But he was doing his job faithfully and began to be burdened for the nation. And God called him out of that place to go be the rebuilder of the walls in the nation of Israel. You, you go all the way through the book. Abraham, the Bible, he called himself a picker of sycamore fruit and a, and a, and a tender of the flocks. Um, Peter was a fisherman, as was James and John. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector. All, you see all through the Bible, people just minding their business, being busy, occupying life, earning a living, helping others. And, and, the, and, and God came along out of nowhere and laid a calling upon their life. And they followed and pursued that calling just like Elisha did. Look through the book. Gideon, what was he doing? Hiding, what, threat, threshing wheat in an old wine press so the Midianites wouldn't come find what he had threshed and taken it away. What did God said? Hell, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, you got the wrong man. Gideon said, you, 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 don't, you must not know me. We're, for, I'm, um, we're the least of the tribes, and I'm, we're, we're the least family in the tribe, and I'm the least man in the family. And, and, and God said, no, I've got the right man. I've got the right man. See, God knew where Elisha was, and he knew who Elisha was. And, I, and Elisha was just busying himself doing what he knew to do in order to provide for the people that were around him. Literally the last in the line. And then here comes Elijah. You can't see this in the text. 
<clears throat> I would not have known it had I not done a little deeper study. Uh, but Elijah probably traveled anywhere. Just, there's some speculation that is involved in, in this, but anywhere between 100 and 160 miles distance to get to where Elisha was. This, is not a, this was not an overnight journey. This is not just a walk down the road to find um, his successor. Uh, he traveled a good distance to find him there. And when he found them there, he simply took his mantle, which was the cloak that they wore on their shoulders that they would pull over their head, that they would use for bedding, that they would use for shelter. <clears throat> Elijah's mantle was pretty famous because he would often take that mantle and, and smite waters or use that mantle as, just like Moses used the rod that budded. Um, it, that was kind of what Elijah's mantle was. But Elijah just found that, those, those 12 men plowing behind those 24 oxen in that field, the last one in the line being Elisha and uh, Elijah cast that mantle upon him. <clears throat> Symbolically, that just meant, follow me. Um, symbolically, that just meant that I, I need you to come alongside of me. Um, I need you to come and serve me. I need you to come and be my student. Um, symbolically, because it was Elijah's mantle, it also represented a covering and an anointing. Um, it represented the anointing that Elijah had. Now, I'm sure Elisha probably knew more about Elijah than Elijah knew about Elisha. The only thing Elijah knew was that God sent me to you. You're supposed to be the one who comes alongside me to serve me and the one who comes alongside of me to be my successor. And so he simply threw his mantle upon him and began to walk away. That was the invitation. That was the invitation. There wasn't any explanation about it. We don't read it in the text if there was. Wasn't no explanation. Just Elijah's mantle fell upon Elisha and Elijah walked away. There was no explanation. And I think, I know that different translations translate that differently, but when Elisha said, let me go home and kiss my parents goodbye, Elijah said, I don't care what you do. He basically had no expectation. He said, I'm just doing what God told me to do. Um, and what God told me to do was anoint you in my stead. And, I, and, I, and throwing that mantle at his feet was simply an invitation without any explanation and without any expectation. The ball was in Elisha's court now. It was completely up to him what he did with that mantle, what he did with that Invitation, And if you look at the text, Elisha literally had to run him down. I mean, he literally had to, had to leave the oxen and run Elijah down and say, give me a minute. Give me an opportunity to go home and, and, to, and to tell my parents goodbye. But there was no coercion from Elijah. Uh, and, and the only thing Elisha did was pause long enough uh, to run home and honor his parents and to cut his ties with his family and with his occupation. Which, which is where the title comes from. Um, he, he burnt his plows. And he cooked his cows. He cooked his oxen. Um, he he throwed a, he, he a, um, a sacrificial and a, and a celebratory party. Um, and, 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 and walked away from everything that he knew in order to take up the mantle of Elijah and follow him. Now, this, this is how I look at this. And this is how I look at this whole story. Elisha said, I'm going all in. I ain't holding nothing back. And there's no turning back for me. 
I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna have anything to go back to. I'm I'm burning the tools of my trade. I'm 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 killing the oxen that I've used to plow with, and I'm going all in with Elijah. Now, he didn't have any clue what his life was going to look like beyond this. He had no clue what it was going to look like. And, and, it's, a, and it's a very colorful, um, I mean, when you go from plowing um, with the 12th pair of oxen to standing before kings, um, rebuking them and giving them counsel, Elisha didn't know all of that was ahead of him. Um, he, he didn't know there was a fiery chariot experience ahead of him. He didn't know that he'd soon be surrounded by, um, by armies that were out to get him and see um, the armies of the Lord of hosts, the angelic hosts, standing in his defense. He didn't know everything that was out ahead of him. All he knew was that Elijah had cast the mantle and he would be following after Elijah and ministering to him. Um, <clears throat> we'll read this later on, but I, uh, this is kind of what his life looked like. Um, right after accepting this call. Um, <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, when the description was being given about Elisha to one of the kings, uh, 2 Kings ca chapter 3, verse 11, um, describes him as one which poured water on the hands of Elijah. He helped him wash his hands. So in his first introduction to these kings, the king said, who is this guy that you're telling me to call? Who is this guy that that I'm going to receive counsel from. And they said, well, the best we can tell you about him is he was Elijah's servant and he poured water on his hands. And then Elisha went on to have a phenomenal ministry that, that even dwarfed everything that Elijah did as far as the number of miracles and the influence that he had. So he was faithful in his ministry to Elijah until God elevated him to take that position that Elijah once held. <clears throat> so we're coming into 2024. And um, we're in 2024. First Lord's Day of 2024 today. And I don't have to tell you this, but I'm going to. <laughs> we are living in a nation that is adrift. <clears throat> we're living in a nation that is swimming in idolatry. And that is drifting towards apostasy. Um, and just like Elijah was at a low point in his life and Israel was in a low point in their life and God raised up Elisha to be a voice in that idolatry and apostasy, <clears throat> I believe God wants to raise up committed, all-in, burnt plows and cooked cows people in our nation um, uh, to, to, to be men, women, and youth who forsake all to follow Christ and who become another voice in the wilderness crying out. Um, and, and, and listen to me, every Christian, every born-again, blood-bought child of God has a calling on their life to be his ambassador. In the Old Testament, an ambassador of God was called a prophet. And so we are all called, in some sense of the word, to be prophets to the people that are around us to be representatives of God um, who live godly lives and who speak godly things uh, and who have the capacity to influence all the people that are around us. They may not like us. They may not respect us. They may not listen to us. Um, they may not want to hear us. 
Um, Elisha had mixed, he had a, a mixed audience of people all around him all the time that heard different things from him, um, that responded to him in different ways. But Elisha was in every sense of the word faithful to what God had called him to do. Um, I don't know, this is one of those deals where you read behind different people, but it looks like if you see the progression of kings that Elijah and Elisha were ministering to, um, that that Elisha probably spent anywhere between between 6 and 16, I've seen some say as much as 20 years, that Elisha spent as much as 20 years serving as a minister and a student of Elijah before he ever went into personal ministry um, on his own. Um, but that was, not a, that was not a time that was wasted. That was a time when he was being prepared for what God would have him to do. So I'm going to give you just three applications. They're very simple applications, and, um, but they're very easy for us to take and to look into our own lives. It don't matter where you are either. It don't matter how long you've been a Christian um, or if you've never been a Christian. There's an application in this for all of us. Here's the first application. You don't have to know or understand it all in order to obey God's call. You don't have to know or understand it all in order to obey God's call. All you have to do is start with what you know right now. What do I know right now? Elijah didn't know anything. Elijah didn't give him any hints, nor did God give him any hints. Elijah simply threw the mantle on, El in, on Elisha and said, Now, the ball's in your court. You know what I'm calling you to do. And, 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 and literally the mantle just went, it just meant follow. Come with me. Come with me. <clears throat> and Elisha didn't know anything else outside of that. The Bible tells us that he did minister to Elijah in that 21st verse, but he didn't know anything outside of that. He took what he knew and he obeyed what he knew. He, he took that next step and obeyed what he knew God was calling him to do through Elijah. <clears throat> this is interesting to me too. We, I looked at all the different men that God had called and where they were and what they were doing. They were all being faithful and just menial tasks, um, secular tasks even. Um, not even doing great spiritual things. They were just being faithful um, to their family and providing for the needs of the family. And then God spoke to them and called them to do great things. But, but um, considering not only where they were, but how, how God called them. A lot of times it was just a, I mean, a lot of times God just speaks in one word or, or two words. Remember when Jesus called the disciples? I mean, they were out there. They were out there tending their nets, cleaning out their nets, getting them ready for the next day of fishing. And Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say what they were going to do. Well, in one text that did say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And you can scratch your head at that. What does that mean? I know about fishing for fish, but I don't know about fishing for men. I mean, I spent all my life fishing for fish, but what is this business of fishing for men? But it's just a, it's a word, follow me. And the Bible said this about the disciples. Straightway they left their nets and followed Jesus. <clears throat> a lot of times when God, when, when God calls, um, he just gives us that one word. He just says, come. Come after me. Follow me. Sometimes he'll say, stay. Just stay. Stand still. You don't need to do anything right now. You just need to stand still. I thought about, I thought about how... Uh, in my own personal life, years ago, before God ever called me to preach, before God ever called me to salvation, um, when I was living wild and wicked, and, and, and God is my witness, and you can ask my mom and dad, and you can ask her mom and dad, or, or, or her whole family, everybody 
was telling Cindy, you do better than that, and you, and, and you deserve better than that, and, and if you walk away, we'll support you. And, and, and listen, that's a big deal coming from my mom and dad, especially, because that, that word's never crossed their vocabulary, but they were, telling, they were telling my wife, you don't have to live like that. We'll take care of you. And, and, and Cindy will tell you that what she heard God say to her was, stay. Stay. And she stayed. And I'm going to tell you something. Had she not stayed, our, our entire family and our whole life would have been on a completely different trajectory than it is right now. Absolutely. I'd have never been the pastor of this church. We'd have never moved to Millwood. I'd have never had the relationship with my kids that I have. Um, I don't know that they would be in church today. You understand that what I'm trying to tell you is that you, all you have to do is what, God, what you know God has said for you to do. And it may seem strange at the time. And it may seem hard at the time. And you may not understand it all at the time. But, but, but my, in, in my wife's case, it was the one word, just stay. And, 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 and what she'll tell you to this day is that she saw something in me that my parents were not able to see at the time. And, and her parents were not able to see at the time. And I sure didn't see it at the time. But all she heard was God said, stay. And, and she stayed. And so all you have to do is move on what you know. You don't have to, you don't have to understand it all. You don't, you don't have to see the whole path laid out before you. You don't have to know what it's going to look like. I'm, listen to me. I'm, 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 I'm almost certain that if Cindy had known everything that it was going to look like, she'd have had a whole lot different, a whole lot harder problem staying. If she had known it was going to include her kids seeing me get handcuffed and hauled away, she might have had a different thought process. She might have tried to protect them from that, but she said, no, all I hear, all I hear and all I know to do right now is stay and just wait. And she did that. And so I don't know what, I don't know what God's saying to you right now. He, he may be saying, come. He may be saying, follow me. He may be saying, stay where you're at. He may be saying, go. But the Bible says in the book of Acts that Paul wanted to do some things and that God said no. He wanted to go here and God said no. And then, and then he had another vision that said that, that, that he heard this call go to Macedonia. The Macedonian call and, and he heard that call and he went. And he didn't know what that was going to look like but that wasn't, a, it wasn't, that wasn't a, a, a pretty occasion in his life as far as what he had to go through when he ministered there. But God didn't give him any details. He just said, go to Macedonia. You, you want to go here because you know what's here, but I want you to go there because you don't know what's there. And so God, don't, God does not always show us um, everything that's before us. He just gives us sometimes the next step, the next order, the next command. And, and all that we're responsible for in that moment is to follow that one singular command. Start with what you know. I, I love the fact that the Bible that the Bible calls itself, God's word calls itself, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Um, that means that sometimes God just shows you what the next step is. And sometimes he will illuminate for you a path out ahead of you. Um, but what we're responsible for is what we know. Not what we don't know, but what we know God has said to do. 
and then we take that step. Peter was in the boat, and the storm was awful, and they saw this figure walking to him on the sea. And they thought at first it was a ghost, and when, when Jesus reassured them it wasn't a ghost, Peter said, Lord, bid me come. And Jesus said, come. And Peter didn't ask any questions. He stepped out of the boat. Now, I understand he, his faith had a little crisis there, but, but you know why? It was because he, was, he, he looked around at what he didn't understand, what he didn't know, and he began to sink. And, and, and then he just said, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out his hand, took him, brought him back into the boat. But you, you know what Peter did? He heard the one command, come. He stepped out of the boat more than anybody else did. Matthew chapter 13, verse 12 in the New Living Translation says this, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. <clears throat> You've heard me say this a lot of different times in a lot of different ways. But if you're not willing to do what God's calling you to do now, there's no reason for him to show you anything else. If you're not willing to take the one step, there's no reason for him to show you the rest of the journey. In fact, the truth of the matter is, sometimes if he showed us the rest of the journey, we wouldn't take the first step to begin with. If you knew everything that was out ahead of you, it would make you more hesitant to step out in obedience. Um... And, and God knows what we can handle and what we can't. Um, and so sometimes all he says is, you do this first. And when you can prove to me that you can walk in obedience here, I'll show you what you can do next. You don't have to know or understand it all to obey God's call. Don't worry about the details down the road. Just take the next step. I know there's, I, I taught this this last Sunday, Three gifts the church can't live without teaching, serving, and giving. <clears throat> and I got a feeling that God's telling some people in our church, step up and teach. Who, what, when, where, how, me. <laughs> but I hear it. I'm, I'm convinced of this that God's still calling men to preach. God's still calling men to preach. I'm convinced that there's some in our congregation that God's calling to preach. And, and all God wants to do is take that first step and say, I surrender. Here I am. I'm willing. And there's no reason for God to show you anymore until you do what he's already told you. And that you know that he's told you to do. It, whether that call is to come, follow, stay, go, commit, teach, serve, give, whatever he's calling you to do. Just do that. And watch the rest of the path open up before you. <clears throat> the second application be willing to make sacrifices to fully step into God's ultimate plan and purpose for you. The Bible's full of examples of people who left the comforts of their own, who left career choices, who left their personal security, who left behind wealth and comfort. Um, who, who, who left everything that they were familiar with behind one of the most famous examples in the Bible, Abraham, who was already a wealthy man, 
was living among his people. And God said, Abraham, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And you ain't going to know you're there until I tell you you're there. And in that place, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. And what did the Bible say Abraham did? He went. He went out not knowing where he was going. But just knowing that he was looking for a city that God had promised him. A place that God had promised him. Be willing to make those sacrifices that are necessary to fully step into whatever God's plan and purpose is for your life. <clears throat> I want you to look with me, and you can just, you can just stay here for the next few minutes because I'm going to look at a couple different passages. Look in Luke chapter 9. I'm just going to read to you. I'm not going to preach this. I'm just going to read it to you. Familiar passages. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. For what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and loses himself or be cast away? <clears throat> Just turn the page and look at verse 57 of that same chapter. It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay, hath not where to lay his head, nowhere to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Elisha asked for that same privilege, and he actually went and did that. But Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I think all Jesus is illustrating for us in all those verses is that sometimes you just have to let things go in order to walk where God wants you to go. Um, let, me, let me say it a different way. Sometimes you have to let good things go. Things that you're comfortable with. Things that you're familiar with. Things that you kind of enjoy. People that you have come to love. Sometimes you got to just let things go in order to find the things that God has for your life. Um, you've heard me tell a story. I, didn't, I ain't a preacher in my family, and I wasn't so sure God was calling me to preach. I knew what I was feeling. I knew what I was hearing. But I was still scared to death when this church called me to pastor. We had that piece of property in Folkestone that we had. Our dreams were set on that. I had opportunity to buy more that was around me. Um, but we had five acres. I had a fish pond. I had a mobile home. I was content there. I built me a nice big deer dog yard and had me a garden spot and, and and then the church wanted me to move here I mean that's the first word that was the first thing that, that Johnny Walden and Raymond Mercer set me on the front pew in that old sanctuary and said we really want a pastor who will live in this community and we don't have a parsonage yet we don't know what we're going to do about where you're going to live but we just know we want you to live here are you willing to do that probably the scariest answer I ever gave anybody was I will but I'm going to tell you in the back of my mind this is what I said we'll just hold on to that piece of property we got <laughs> in folks and in case this don't work out 
I mean, we can rent it out or we can do whatever. We can save it as a weekend home. My brother was living across the road from us. I'm like, he'll help me out with it. Let's just hold on to it. And between January of, of 96 and July when we moved here, a fella came by one day when I was out there um, dressing up around my fish pond, planting grass or something. He rode down the dirt road and said, um, no, we any properties for sale out here. I said, no, nah, I sure don't. You want to sell this place? I said, don't know. I hadn't really thought about it. And I had, I thought, that's a lie. <laughs> and he said, if you, if, if you did, what would you want for it? And I said, I hadn't given that a lot of thought. And he said, top off, top, off the top of your head. And I threw the price at him. And he called me back later that afternoon. I, 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 we exchanged numbers. He called me back later that afternoon. He said, I'll tell you what I do. I'll give you a binder on that property in case you decide to sell it. And I said, no, you don't have to do that. I mean, he was willing to lose money. And, and to me, that was God saying. That was just God's voice saying, I didn't call you to hold on to anything. I called you to turn it loose. And when we sold that property, we moved to Millwood, Georgia, debt-free. We didn't know anybody, anything, which made me able to pastor a church with 35 people pretty easy because I didn't require a whole lot. You don't, you, God ain't going to show us everything. He's not going to lay the whole path out before us. But we don't have to understand or know it all to obey him. And sometimes all he's calling us to do is just, you let go of that and I'll show you something better. You, you let that go, and I got a better plan for you. I got, more, I got a better purpose for you. And you'll find what you're looking for when you release what I'm telling you to turn loose. Um, my salvation looked the same way. It was, I held on to the back of that pew for a long time because of the friends that I felt like I would lose when I gave my heart to Christ. And I did lose those friends. I did not, not, I don't want to say I lost a friendship, but I lost the closeness that I had with them. None of them hate me, and I don't hate them, but we, don't have anything in, we didn't have anything in common, so we drifted apart very quickly. But what I found out was that God gave me much better, greater friends who built me up spiritually, um, who were not, not there to entice me away, but to encourage me to draw near. <clears throat> I need to finish. I preached a funeral for one of my childhood friends on Friday. And um, I was glad that I went and, and spent a few hours with him the week before. I didn't know he was that close to, to um, death. But anyway, he took some beautiful pictures. Um, you, if you ever see a, a, a picture with the signature Nate McMillan, that's him. He's got some out of the Heritage Center, I know. But most of his pictures are of nature. Um, a lot of them are in the swamp, but they're incredible. He's an incredible photographer. And um, Nathan spent a lot of years of his life in rebellion. He was a preacher's kid, and he grew up kind of bitter towards his daddy and bitter towards the church. And anyway, long story short, he came back to his faith a few years ago. And, um, and he called me one day, and we talked for about two hours. And he had a grandfather that was a pastor and a dad that was a pastor. And and he wasn't sure what God's calling was on his life. He didn't know exactly what to do with his life. Um, he just loved Jesus and regretted wasting so much time. But um, he's laying on his deathbed now. And, you know, I, I was looking at some of the pictures on the wall. And I said, Nate, 
then the, the photography that you've blessed the world with is going to live a long time after you're gone. And he opened his eyes. He was having a hard time. He's kind of drifting in and out, but he opened his eyes and looked right at me. And he said, you really think that? And I said, yeah, I do. I said, you've captured the beauty of God's creation in still images. And it's incredible. And it'll live. And he smiled. And he said, I like to think that when I'm gone, that I've left something behind that's impactful. Now, I know that's simple. I know that's simple. And we might think that there's, you know, there's not much to that. Um, but I, you know what I think? That we all, when we get to the end of this life, we want to know that we left behind something substantial, something influential, something that's made a difference in somebody else's life. So what kind of spiritual influence are you going to leave behind? And, and I think if we're going to leave behind any spiritual influence, we've got to obey when God says go, stay, come, follow, whatever God says, we've got to obey that. And we've got to be willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary to walk in that calling that he's put on our life. And here's the third application, and I'm done. Be faithful with the small stuff if you want to be entrusted with greater responsibilities. Um, Elijah spent, you know, as I said, anywhere from seven to 20 years serving as a student and servant of Elijah. He was faithful to that. He did that for a long period of time before God ever moved Elijah out of the way and exalted Elisha in his position. Again, I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 14, <clears throat> verse 7 um, through verse 11. He put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And then in chapter 16, verses 10 through 12, Jesus says this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, uh, to your trust, the true riches? If you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? And then in verse 13 he talked about trying to serve two masters. So, so be faithful with the small stuff. That's all Jesus is saying in those passages of scripture. Don't exalt yourself. Wait on that. Elisha served and was a student of Elijah for a long period of time before God ever elevated him to that position and gave him a double portion of the spirit. So um, we, we ought to be doing what we're doing. Where, wherever we're at right now, do it all for the glory of God. If you're serving, serve faithfully. Um, just do what God's calling you to do faithfully now. And when you're faithful in that which is least, he'll entrust you with greater responsibilities. Um, I think all of our days as a student and servant ultimately prepares the days that we can teach and lead. We just have to trust that process. Let me say that again. All the days that we are a servant and a student prepare us for the days that we can be a teacher and a leader.
We just have to trust that process. Elisha has some very humble beginnings. He has some very humble beginnings. But, but this is the things that marked his life. Um, he was obedient. He was sacrificial. Um, and he was faithful. And everything that God gave him to do, and that's what prepared him for the greatness of his life that followed. And we'll, we'll talk about some of those things in the weeks ahead. <clears throat> but let me say this. God, God may never use any of us to lead kings. And I said some of this last week too, but it's worth repeating. I don't know that I'll ever have an influence beyond the influence of this church and its ministry. God may never use any of us to lead kings. But can I tell you, leading kids is just as important as leading kings. And, and I'll tell you this, as a boy who grew up in church... The faithful adults in that church made impressions upon me that last until this day. I stood in the pulpit of my home church to preach that funeral the other day, and I could look over that congregation and, and tell you the seats where the faithful sat. I can hear their voices ringing in my ears. I know the ones who taught me in Sunday school. I can remember the prayers of some of those people and how, when I even as a kid, how their prayers... Uh, made me feel like the presence of God was filling up that room. So even if God doesn't lead us to teach or to influence kings, he leads us to teach those, to influence those people around us, even the smallest of kids. And that's just as important and likely more enduring. You might, you might influence a king for a little while, but if you can influence a kid, you have the, you have the ability when you influence a child to influence generations to come. Because if you influence that child... You influence that child who will become a parent, who will become a grandparent. You can influence multiple generations just by being obedient, um, sacrificial, faithful to what God has called you to do. Um, even if it's just your own kids, that impact has eternal implications and nothing's more important than that. So, 2024, are you ready to take that next step of obedience? Whatever it is God's telling you to do, are you ready to take that next step? It might require you to give up something. It might require you to sacrifice something. It might require you to get outside of your comfort zone. It might require you to do something you've never done before. But are you ready to lay that down so that you can take that next step of obedience? Are you ready to be faithful? The Bible says that God requires of us that we be found faithful. And everybody can do that. Um, he, he, I'm glad he didn't say God requires of all of us that we be good singers because all of us can't do that. Or that you be a good teacher and all of us can do that. But we can all be faithful and we all should do that for the glory of God. Can we come play us a song? Let's stand together. Lord, I thank you for these folks that are here this morning. Thank you for this brand new year that lies ahead of us. Um, opportunities abound. All around us, Lord, we have the, we have the ability to, to influence others, to impact their lives for your glory. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to learn to be obedient in even the smallest things, Lord. Um, there's no reason for you to show us any more when we won't do what you've shown, what you've shown us already. Um, no reason for you to light up our, our path if we're not willing to take that first step. And so um, just speak to us this morning, God. And 
I want to make a difference in the world that's around me. And the people that are around me, those that are closest to me, those that I don't even know, I want them to be able to look into my life and see something that they don't see in the world. And I pray you just help us this morning make the commitments. Burn, burn plows and cook cows to just lay down whatever you've called us to lay down and, and follow after you with all that we are. To go all in. No holding back, no turning back. To go all in. And uh, we don't know what's ahead for us, but we know that if it's in your plan, in your purpose, it's going to be good. It's going to be good for us. It's going to be good for others. It's going to bring you glory. And so we're, we're, we're willing this morning to just give it to you. Let you take the lead and help us to follow faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.